the blast from our past network. This week on Talking Back, we're ready to blow the roof off this party. Talking Back. Hey, everybody, welcome to Talking Back the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I am your host, Tim, and with me this week is co-host Dean. Hey, Dean. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Great. Movie week. Great as always. Movie week. Dude, it's like, it's Christmas week. I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling the jolly spirit. I'm on vacation. I'm extra jolly. Excellent. Um, This is going to be a lot of fun. As always, we always have so much fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. We, I just, like we said every episode, we love to sit down and talk about, uh, talk about movies, talk about video games, talk about comics. And I feel like I approach different um, podcast episodes in two different ways. And one way is like, I, I think it's like my head. I'm bringing like, I want to bring the knowledge. I want to make sure there's something there for like the listeners to appreciate and then the other types of episodes, I bring my heart. And this is a heart episode, Tim, this one. Yes, Dean, I love that. And I definitely know that this is one of those heart episodes for you. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I threw this one out and I think you like exploded with joy. I, I, I couldn't believe your reaction. Your reaction was like you'd been waiting to hear these words your whole life. And yeah, I think I double fist pumped and jumped out of my chair. You did and you screamed yes. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I didn't think we'd actually get to this content for a while. Uh, I, I was, I don't want to say if ever, because I'm sure this is something that would eventually come out, but I did not think we would do this one uh, this early, which has been a bit of a theme lately, doing stuff we didn't think we'd do this yeah, early, just, but, but it just seems when to the fit. moment hits us. That's the thing. Like we're, what we do is we're just kind of like whatever we're feeling that week we're yeah. doing. We used to schedule stuff like five, six weeks in advance, and now we're just like, what do you feel like talking about right now? Oh, this, right? Okay, let's do that. And that, this, that's how this one ended up. But yes, it's um, it's Christmas week, dude. Mm-hmm. I am going to apologize ahead of time to the listeners that I might get a little bit more jolly than normal in this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? When we're on vacation, things get extra jolly. Yeah. Okay. And what I mean by that is I'm probably going to drink extra beer. Um, yeah, we're just, because we get happy. We're very happy. We're on vacation, very happy, filled with the holiday spirit. That's right. Yeah. And the liquid spirits. Yes, exactly. Now, I will throw out there that we do have a special Christmas episode coming up in a few days. Mm-hmm. Last year, we launched it on the 25th. I think this year we'll do it on the 24th, just to give people maybe a day to rev up. I don't I don't know how many people actually listen to an episode on Christmas Day, but we'll throw it out there on Christmas Eve Day. Maybe you've yeah. got some last minute wrapping to do and you can listen to us uh, talk about, uh, I'll, I'm going to spoil it. It's a movie. Tim. It's, oh, a, it's movie. a movie. Last year we okay. did the Star Wars holiday special. Oh my goodness. Incredible episode. Incredible. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Love that movie. Hate that movie. You loved it, All Tim. That movie broke one. you. I loved it more than I hated it. Yeah, there, you loved there it. There were moments that I hated, but by the end of it, I loved the experience. Yeah, you had totally bought into what it was it was giving you. True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh go check that one out if you want. We've got another something sort of like that going to be happening 
this time. So in a couple days, check your podcast inbox. We're going to have a little special something something there for you. Christmas related. And on those episodes, Dean, you and I drink eggnog, rum and eggnog. We drink rum and eggnog and we sing. We sing, yeah. So be prepped for that. And Brian joins us for a song. Yeah. So I feel like this episode could have had a song. There's so many great Christmas songs in this movie. For sure. Definitely could have. What else can we say to prep this? Um, like how, how, how big of a fan of this movie are you? Very big. Well, I guess we should just get into this. Uh, I, know, I know you and I feel the same way about this. Um, this is where we split our uh, listeners in half right now. Is oh, that wow. You and I both agree that this is a Christmas movie. The majority of people, I think, don't consider this a Christmas movie, but yeah, it is. Whatever. It is, okay? Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry if you're one of the people who don't think this is a Christmas movie, you're incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, if you don't think it is, it's fine. You're wrong, but it's fine. You're wrong, and it would have been fine up until a couple years ago, but 20th Century Fox actually released an updated trailer for okay. the movie. Okay pitching it as a Christmas movie and said, yes, it is a Christmas movie. There you go. Done. I'll, uh, maybe I'll insert it right here. It's this is John. Nice bear. He just wants to spend Christmas with the family. Is Daddy coming home with you? We'll see what Santa and Mommy can do. But when he gets stuck at the office party... Merry Christmas! It'll be a holiday... Merry Christmas! He'll never forget. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Welcome to the party, pal! This Christmas... It's a time of miracles, so be of good cheer. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. Get ready to jingle some bells. And deck the halls. With bows of Bruce Willis. Went to the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. Alan Rickman. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Together in the greatest Christmas story ever told. I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. Hans. Booby. Eat it, Harvey. Holy shit. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. Merry Christmas. Die Hard. This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year's. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I mean, how many times can you say the fucking word Christmas in a movie and not have it be a Christmas movie? Like, what, what yeah, else do you need? I I, it's, it's a Christmas party, Tim. It's a Christmas party. It's got Christmas songs in it. It's Christmas on. everything. The only thing that I hear that people can cling on to is there's no Christmas theme in the movie. What do you mean? Theme. There's a Christmas party. A theme. Okay, a Christmas party isn't a theme, right? Someone says ho, ho, ho. That's not a theme, In though. this movie. That's not a theme. I know. No, I'm, I'm with you. What do you mean? I'm with you. That's not a theme, though. Like, a theme okay. would be like... Um, I don't know, helping others less fortunate than yourself or um, Santa Claus, like, you know, saving Christmas in some way. There's some grander theme right. that maybe this movie doesn't quite have. Okay. Um, but I'm sure if you looked for it, you could find it. And if it doesn't have that, it, it, there's too many Christmas references for it not to be a Christmas movie. I'm the type of person, if if there's a Christmas tree in the movie, like a Christmas tree with lights on it, 
Yeah. That someone drives past on a street. Like, it's in the window of a house. Yeah. That's a Christmas movie for me. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't take a lot to convince me that a movie is a Christmas movie. Um, the, oh, what is that called? Uh, I Come in Peace, uh, also um, more likely known as Dark Angel now because they switched the name on it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why movies switch names. It's just, confu- right. you're just confusing us. Just don't do it, okay? <laughs> but neither of those names are excellent, right? I think I Come in Peace is better than Dark Angel. Why'd you switch right. it? But that movie starts off with a guy putting a CD in his, um, his like CD player in his car. It's a Christmas song and he crashes into a Christmas tree lot. That's it for Christmas. That's a Christmas movie to me. Christmas That's movie Christmas, done. Yes. Boom, Christmas movie. Love it. So I'm, a, I'm an easy. I'm an easy sell. You're an easy sell. I go one step further. If there's snow, this thing, this thing's Christmas movie. Okay. For me. See, you're easier than I am then because I don't <laughs> agree so with that. Because we talked about that. Uh, yeah. in a previous episode, you're like, if there's snow, it's Christmas. I, yeah. I, I'm. That's not. I'm not going that far. Okay. That's not. Whatever, man. Well, no, that's fine. I mean, you say what you want, but I'm not. So is the thing a Christmas movie for you? Oh, good point. No, see, not here. Here's the interesting thing. Not all movies with snow in them are Christmas movies, but all Christmas movies have snow in them. No, that's not true because this one doesn't have snow in it. Um, doesn't it? I so, select. Does it not snow at all in this movie? It's in L.A. Yeah, I guess you're right. It snows papers at the end. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, you're thinking of the nice falling paper. Non-negotiable bearer bonds. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> Snowing down on the streets of L.A. A classic score from the 70s, Bearer Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Came, yeah, they came. They came for, they came 10 years too late for Bearer Bonds. They, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, well, that's that's good. Dean, are, yeah. how, how, are you feeling, on a, level, on a level of 1 to 10, how jolly are you feeling right now? Just so, so everybody can, everybody out there listening. Oh, by the way, listeners, thank you for joining this week again. We love you all. Um, check out our newsletter as well. Dean, yes. how jolly? One to 10. I'm te- like, I, it, it's weird. It's a weird episode. I, I'm, I would say I'm at a 10, but it's, it's that sort of situation where I'm like, okay, this movie's so great. It's so good. We need to do the best thing ever. We need to do the best podcast ever. So I feel like it's so, there's, the stakes are high. Mm, yeah, uh, they're not. There's nothing, okay, nothing's gonna, okay. nothing, nothing possible could happen or go wrong here. I'm also at a 10. I couldn't be jollier right now. I'm just so, Perfect. I'm so damn jolly. I, I almost feel like singing. Like I, oh, dude, I'm so close to singing right now. Tim, I'm, I'm close. Do it solo. No, I'm not going to though. Okay. Uh, if you play the drums, I'll sing something. No, no, that's okay, Tim. We're, we're far past that. A duet. <laughs> do you know? Drums and do you Tim know, singing. <laughs> do you know, let it snow on the drums. Uh, yeah, <laughs> list, I do. I do know. Give me the list of Christmas songs you know how to play on the drums, and I'll choose one. I <laughs> okay. I kid. Let's get into the movie. Okay, let's do it. Released in 1988 with a budget of 25 to 35 million. They don't know. Okay. 10 million went missing. Yep. That uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, it grosses 140 million dollars. <laughs> Holy Great smokes, job. dude! Holy smokes. That's R-rated movie. Great job. Yeah, I know, right? Wow, what a return that is. R-rated movie with starring not an action star. An action movie starring not an action star. Great R-rated movie without an action star. Christmas movie released in the summer. 
Yes, oh, it's, it's a got July, all, right? It's, it's got, a July movie. Everything yes. going against it. Yes. <laughs> wow. All right. It's produced by Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Now, these guys do things we like, Dean. I know, okay. I know. T- together as a team of producers, they did Predator, Predator 2, and Brewster's Millions. Now, individually, they produced the likes of The Warriors, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, The Matrix Tri- the Matrix Trilogy, The Nice Guys, Event Horizon, Watchmen, and many, many more. So I like those movies. Yes, I would say that we owe a lot to these dudes. Yes. And uh, and these these producers are hands on producers. Are they? These the, yes, these are guys that are there every day talking to everybody all the time. Like definitely a lot of input coming from these guys. I often like when producers do that. Um, yeah. And I guess oftentimes it it might not work out, but. When I hear that a producer was hands-on and I liked the movie, um, it's usually because the producer did do something important on that movie. Now, this is directed by John McTiernan, and he hasn't actually done all that much, but he has brought us Predator and Die Hard. So for me, this guy has a lifetime membership into the cool club. Oh, yeah. And those are top tier. Oh, dude. So expertly directed, both of those movies. Yeah, definitely. Music by Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen did the music for a movie from 1981 called Venom. And it was my most terrifying movie experience of all time. Right. Now, he's done a lot of other cool stuff in his career. Um, the thing with him is he's been able to cover all sorts of genres, which I really I like to see. And it really impresses me. It shows like he's got like a scale that he can he can go yeah. up and down. He's not just kind of like stuck in a certain area. He can go, he can do this, that, or the other. I really appreciate that. So Die Hard is based on a novel titled Nothing Lasts Forever. Now, Jeb Stewart, one of the writers, is given an opportunity to write the adaptation for the book. He keeps a lot of the original story, but what he's struggling with finding is a narrative that would capture the viewer's attention. And the the book, Nothing Lasts Forever, it had a very cynical tone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the, the John McClane character, it's not, it's not called John McClane, but with that character, uh, he does go to this building, this high rise, and he's going there to meet his drug addicted daughter who ends up dying. It's like not a happy ending. Yeah, she falls out that window at the end. Right, she does. To her death, yeah. Yeah. So Jeb Stewart was working... Very long hours. He was writing for Disney. He had a real bad deal with them. And in his in-between time, he's trying to like pump out this script for Die Hard to get some extra money. He's working around 18 hours a day. So the dude is rarely at home. He is um, overwhelmed with exhaustion. And he gets into an argument with his wife. And he goes for a drive to cool down. He accidentally drives into a refrigerator box, an empty one. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. In the middle of the road. Jeez. And this causes him to have a near death experience. So he quickly returns home to reconcile with his wife and write 35 pages of the script of Die Hard, realizing that the narrative should be about a stubborn man trying to reconcile with his wife. Right. Yes. Awesome. That's where he pulls that out of. So. Tim, I love that. I love that story that that's how he gets like drawing Mm. on real life 
issues to get to what cracks this character because this this movie feels so like characters feel so real yeah and so it's it's cool to see that he drew on his own experience um i i have read this story and i did hear that he continued on finished the 35 pages and then was like ah shit i still gotta go apologize to my wife oh he wrote first he did he the writing wrote first. first he continued on wrote ah. 35 pages and he's like I definitely need to still apologize. Though. Yeah, well, he's still trying to get there for himself. He's still trying to get to the apologetic yeah. stage, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Nothing lasts forever. That's like a Bond title, hey? Oh, totally, totally. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, that book was a a second book. Yeah. So Die Hard is uh, a sequel. Well, yeah. Well, the book. Yeah, it's a sequel it, to the it, detective in a way. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I always find that when people write from experience or real life, it just is so much better. And I will I will throw oh, yeah. out an obvious reference to our, our buddy Rick Remender writing on Deadly Class. Like this guy, he writes because we can tell he's experienced certain things and he knows how to write about them. So when yeah. someone like I love that if someone has a like a very, very impactful moment in their life and they can kind of like get that down on paper and have have it make sense to people and and in a way like make other people understand how you felt in that moment that's the best material you're going to come up with it's it's great totally having the audience connect with something like that's what gets them into your material and what better way to connect than with characters going through similar things that you would go through yeah Exactly. That's like the same things you're going through. I guess there's a couple levels. There's like, first of all, you want them to connect with it to make it like for it to feel real, right? So the best way to have someone connect with something that's real is to write about something that actually happened instead of making it up, right? It's easier to sell something that really happened. And the other part is that you need to be talented enough to write it or draw it or whatever your art um, process is or your outlet is, you have to be able to get it across in a way that people will understand it, right? So if even if it happens yeah. to you, if you're not a good storyteller, it might not connect with people. So there's like, I feel like there's those two levels to it. You're totally right. That's a really good point that you actually still have to be talented enough to be able to get it across. Right. And have people connect with that. Yeah, good point. And, you know, in this situation, Jeb Stewart, I think like, I mean, the the process of the whole script coming together is a lot of a lot of moving parts there's a lot of things that you know everybody is contributing to producer director actors but this main idea was i think crucial to connect us to these characters it was the start of how we can connect to them yeah exactly so the role of john mcclain was offered to all of these people who turned it down frank sinatra Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Caan, Tom Berenger, Robert De Niro, and last but not least, Bruce Willis. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wanted this, dude. Nobody wanted this. He, uh, he kind of had to turn it down. Same with the sort of Michael J. Fox situation. He was uh, recording a TV show and it didn't work. That's right. Yeah. He, he uh, already had a contract yeah. with um, Moonlighting, so he couldn't get yeah. out of that. But uh, his co-star uh, became pregnant and there was a window for him to shoot this movie. So he right. was able to, to do it. 
Can I can I tell the Frank Sinatra story? The why Frank Sinatra's offered it? Uh, sure. It did have something to do with the first movie, the the yeah. first story, the detective. So, Yes, he's in The Detective, which is based on the first novel, which is back in the 60s. But he has rights. He had he had signed a contract to have first refusal um, for any sequels of The Detective. And so since Nothing Lasts Forever was a sequel to that, even though they adapted it by changing the name of the hero and rewriting a lot of things, it still had to be offered to Frank Sinatra right. in 87 like 20 something years after he did the first movie and he said i think he said something like i'm too old and i'm too rich (laughs) perfect (laughs) something like that yeah they wrote like they wrote john mcclain to be young so it really wouldn't have worked if frank sinatra was to take it but they had to offer it to him and he was he's too old and too rich to take that can you imagine frank sinatra in that role (laughs) wow damn (laughs) yippee yeah now, Die Hard was up for uh, four Academy Awards. I didn't know that. It was up for Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Sound. Mm. It did not win any, though. No, visual effects, though, on this movie are incredible. Um, to go oh, like to dude, go oh. back to 1988 and just, just watch this movie thinking back to, like, they can't do anything with a computer. Everything no. has to be practical. Absolutely yeah. everything. Yeah, and the stuff and they did. And they're filming in a real building. Right. Like, it is amazing, these effects. Yeah, it's the actual 20th Century Fox building. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is shot inside that actual building. Yeah, a lot of it, yeah. And a lot of the explosions were happening, like, outside and on top of the building. They were blowing shit up. Exactly. It's, it's <laughs> they were the doing real it. building. Going like, it's it. not like they were on a soundstage. Like they were on a soundstage for some of it, yeah. but it's not like the whole movie was just in a bunch of rooms on a lot. No, it's like it in the most of that movie is inside that building, inside those elevator That's shafts. That's why it has like, such a great feel to it. It has such a great feel. The building is a character. Yeah, totally, totally. And it, yeah, like you said, explosions going off on the side of the real building. Mm. Like, that's happening. Yeah, they were doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Bruce Willis lost two-thirds of the hearing in one of his ears from this movie okay probably from one of those like explosions that he was too close to yeah i feel like the actual clip might even be in the movie because there's one where you can see him just like pull away from an explosion and like hold the side of his head and he's just like yeah his scream is it sounds like it's real like real pain right yeah yeah there yeah the maybe we'll get to it when we get to that part in the movie um but I did a little bit of a deep dive on the effects in this movie. So uh, I think I know one thing, one of the explosions that might have got to him, too. Yeah, I know uh, a fair amount of the effects, too. So, yeah, let's get into that then. There's some incredible stuff that they did. Incredible stuff. That it's so interesting. Look into the effects of this movie. It's so incredible and so dangerous that you would never oh, yeah. get away with that nowadays. Like, never. It was just like, it was like the, yeah. the, the Wild West back then. With They're just like, I have an idea to do this. So let's just do it, right? For sure. And Crazy. a lot of these actors are first time, not just first time, but like new, new to the scene, new to the action film scene. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'll do as much as I can. Yeah. All right. So John McClane arrives in Los Angeles. And I like right off the bat that the music's a bit menacing. Like it's, mm. it's uh, yeah. when he's picking up his luggage, it's got a vibe. Like, you know, you're not in for something all that much fun. So I, I appreciated that right off the bat. Now, he's there in L.A. to spend the holidays with his family. Uh, He meets his wife, Holly, at her office. Uh, They're having a Christmas party where uh, Ellis, this guy Ellis, is hitting on her already. 
So we yeah, get a couple yeah. uh, good good character introductions there. Oh yeah, Ellis. Uh, I like Ellis. I've always liked Ellis. So um, Ellis is like I I hate Ellis. Let's be clear here. I hate Ellis, but he is he's, fan. He's so charismatic. Yeah. So good. He's so good. Now we learn Holly and John have two kids together, but their careers took them on different paths, and they are uh, they do not live in the same cities. Yeah. So I like so far that having learned about that relationship, I like that they didn't have like a really, really ugly falling out. They don't show us something very, very devastating. So this whole idea of reconciliation is believable. Like we're not just, we're buying into it as it's happening. So I I, I like that they kind of set it up early on that this is something that could still happen, could still work. Yeah. Tim, I think it is so perfect when, uh, um, Holly walks in, sees John for the first, like for the first time, and it kind of takes her breath away. You can see that she is happy yeah. to see him. Like she's not showing it on her face, but she is so pleased that he's there and they haven't seen each other in so long. And there's these nice moments between the two. And you're just like, come on, like, what's like, just get together. You guys right. love each other. Like, this yeah. is great. I'm so happy with you two. And then, you know, the fight comes. And I just, I really like that that's how they set it up, that they didn't set it up with, we're fighting right away. Yeah. It's a very nice, sweet moment between the two of them before the fight comes. Yeah, exactly. So John gets picked up from the airport by a limo and Argyle is his driver and he's going to take him to the Christmas party. Yes, yes. Now, I noticed right away that they're using this really, really gorgeous orange filter over all of the L.A. scenes. Um, Now, I really think that they were trying to make it look like dusk, like the sun's just kind of setting. And do you know what happens, Dean, once the sun sets and the, Uh, the darkness comes? The vampires come out? The, close. The monsters come out. Oh. Oh. So right right as, as the sun's going yes. down and everything's getting dark, we see the monsters starting That's to make cool, their Tim. way in. Yeah. I like That's that. That's cool. I like that. I like that. Now, um, I, I I just wanted to say about the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop us so many times here, Tim. <laughs> you just keep me going if we need to. But um, the limo scene, when John McClane um, gets into the front seat of the limo, we know kind of right away that he's not like high status. You know, he's just like, he's your, you know, good old fashioned, you know, worker guy. Like, he's he the, every, he's the every man. He's the every man. Exactly. That's Dude, it. I call he's out to that man. a lot. He gets of, into the front sheet. I call out to that a lot of times throughout this, that he's the every man. So yes. I didn't actually have that one written down. So I like that you're starting it off even before I am, that he's Perfect. the every man. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent I, insert, Dean. And this is uh this is a tip from director uh, McTiernan who did not want to do this movie at all, and Joel Silver kept pushing it on him, pushing it on him, pushing it on him, and he's like, okay, okay, we gotta make it lighthearted then. Like, what if when like he goes, so he opens up the script, gets to the first scene. What if he like gets into the front of the limo because he doesn't know how to go into limo? He's never been in a limo before, and right away they're just they clicked. You know, Joel and him were like, oh yeah, 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 that's good, that's a good idea, and then they just went from there. And cool. I just love that. That's like the first thing he picked out. That's a nice touch. I do have a quote here from McTiernan on the tone of the film. I was going to save mm. till after, but this would be a perfect place to throw it in because you've brought up like something very similar. But he said. My principal concern going into this was that it was a story that concerned terrorists, and terrorist movies are often mean, filled Mm. with all sorts of mean, nasty acts. And I didn't say yes to this project until we figured out some way to put, in essence, some joy into it. Yeah. 
So that is a little piece of that joy. That's a bit of humor, right? That's funny. We're, he knows we're all going to laugh at a moment like that. So he's sprinkling moments like that throughout this movie. And there's a lot of them. And he's he's making this more lighthearted than like um, what a typical terrorist movie would have been at that time. Yeah, totally. This movie's so funny without actually like jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Now... Argyle drops John off and John asks, uh, asks him to just to stick around <laughs> just in case he needs a quick ride out of there. Like he doesn't, yeah. he's not so sure that things are going to go <laughs> all that smooth. So he's like, just hang around. I might, I might need a ride back. So yeah, uh, it's his escape plan. I like it. Oh, nice. Yeah, totally. So John makes his way up to the 30th floor and meets Mr. Takagi. And he is the president of the Nakatomi Corporation. This guy's great. He's great. Yeah, he's Holly's boss. And he takes John to Holly's office where Harry's doing some coke. This guy likes his coke. Okay, it's the 80s. You can't really wrong anybody in the 80s for liking coke. I feel like everybody liked coke in the 80s. I feel like especially a lot of people in the movie business. Yes, maybe that's a a little bit better. (laughs) That's more specific. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of... Okay, a lot of males in the 80s right. in the movies like their Coke. It might have just been left over there from break time. They had a break. Coke was out on the table there. Oh. And then they came back to shoot the oh, scene. Maybe. And, you know, it was just still there. Yeah, you think the production staff actually just left some Coke out? Yeah, I think so. It's very possible. Yeah, and Ellis to just was like, ooh, I don't mind if I do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So Takagi mentions to John that the building is still under construction and that most of the upper floors are unfinished. Uh, Like that foreshadowing. Yep, definitely. Now the bad guys start to roll in. Hmm. They have a semi with the name Pacific Courier on the side and they head into the parkade at Nakatomi Tower. And a couple of guys come to the front door and they kill the security guard. Then Hans Gruber and his team come out from the semi that was waiting in the parkade. Their computer-savvy bad guy locks down the building. Uh, Theo. Theo's his name. Mm-hmm. And there's now no way in or no way out. So it's all locked down. Yep. And Hans makes his way to the 30th floor with his group. And I really, really like this shot. It's, it's pretty classic. There's lots of images yeah. on the web about it. Han, like the elevator opening, Hans and his dudes standing there looking all cool in their cool jackets with yeah. their guns. And they, they kind of sneak out of the elevator. They like sneak really out. Really yeah. cool. They sneak out of the elevator. Hans surveys the situation and he gets this little smirk on his face. Like he's, he's excited for the fun that's about to ensue. Yes. I, I this... loved it. It's such a great such a great intro for the bad guys that they're just yeah. like, they're ready to have fun. And they, oh, I loved it. I just, every time I see it, I just love it. I eat it up. Yes, which is crucial. Like you said, what uh, McTiernan said, like, uh, it's not fun if it's a terrorist movie. It's so serious. It's not fun. He wants these villains to have fun. Not just he wants the movie to be fun. He wants the villains to have fun. Like he says, like, everybody likes bank robbers. You know, every everyone likes bank robbers, even if they're good or bad, they're fun. Right. And that's what he wants to get. And you get this, you get all these serious, you know, tough looking guys, but they like, yeah, Hans is like going to have a blast. He's, he's a performer and he's ready for his shot on stage. Like he's about to perform and he's about to lay it out there. Yep. 
So good. Oh, he's so slick. I think his plan is so well laid out that he oh. knows it's going to work. He, right. He, he as knows soon as he's standing there. He yeah. just, he knows, like he sees the end game already. He's just like his, I, th- I feel like in his mind, his work is done already. Like the hard yes. work is done. This right. is almost like the time where he gets to go and just enjoy like the fruits of his labor. He's like, my plan is so rock solid that we're going to walk out with $640 million in negoti- non-negotiable bearer bonds. And it's just right. like, I'm just here to collect it. That's it. It's already yeah. done. The yeah. hard work's done. Right. It's like, this is his Christmas. It's yeah. He's just wonderful. It's great. So it's, it's like when we start recording a par- podcast, we're like, the hard work's done. We've done the research. We've watched the movie. Now we just get to have fun. That's why we both have smiles on our face when we start. It's like, let's just do it. Exactly. And then throw Christmas in the mix. Yes. Oh, oh, dude. Oh, dude. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Yes. yes we're man. just here to collect. Okay. Oh, okay. But then, then, Tim. Yes. Hans opens his mouth. And yeah. this guy has... The weirdest voice that is so good. He's talking yeah. so slowly, but it's like so smooth. Mm. It's just like it, it, it's it's almost like it's like a song. The way the way he's talking, it's just like I'm drawn right into it, and immediately I just listening to every word he has to say. Definitely, yeah. I I, I love his voice. It's a yes, great, it's amazing great voice, great villain. Oh, so the bad Alan Rickman, just the best. He is he is one of the best. He's not yeah. the best, Dean slow down i can see He's what's the happening best hans gruber yes he is the best hans gruber okay yeah I'll that's accept. what i meant tim i'll accept <laughs> i'll accept that uh, that caveat that you threw in he's there he's the best in this movie he's the best hans gruber that yeah there but ever he's also the best been. actor in this movie uh best actor in this movie you i don't know dude hans- i don't oh. know it's alan rickman it's alan rickman should have been academy award nominated I was really impressed with Bruce Willis's um, acting in this movie. Very, yeah, very he's, impressed. He's, great. he's very great, impressed. Yeah. For kind of a nobody at the time. Like, yeah. th- it almost seems like he's been doing action movies his whole life at this point. And this was yeah. his first one. So let's just uh, let's just say they both. They're both winners. It's Christmas. Both there are no the losers. They're both winners. Right. Okay. Okay. So the bad guys gather everyone on the floor into a main room, except for John who's able to escape to a higher floor. Lucky for him, he's a cop. He knows, he hears gunfire. He immediately knows what to do, right? He's just like, "Ah, this is a bad scene. Let's get out of here. He escapes. He already knows, he recalls that the upper floors are unfinished. So he goes up there. So uh, a really good move for him to to go out instead of just like running in and being like, you know, the hero, like being like the thing we think of the hero running in and saving everyone right away. No, he's smart. This guy's smart. He knows what he's doing. He's got to get out of this situation to make a difference. He's vulnerable. He's not yeah. your typical like Arnold or Sly who we Very don't true. often yeah. don't feel like they're ever even in trouble because they're superheroes, right? Arnold would walk out that room. He'd gun everybody hall, down. Gun yeah. everyone down. And I wouldn't even think twice about him doing that. Yeah. All the bad this guys guy would can't drop. do that. Yeah, all the bad guys would drop. All the civilians would be standing. And yeah. that's just what you expect. But mm-hmm. that we've got a different vibe going on here. So um, it's one of the things that makes this movie so like so unique and so excellent, I would just say. It's For just sure, yeah. Lovable both, in a way. Tim, both those things. All three of those things. Yeah. Now, Hans addresses the group. And I love what he says here. <laughs> it's... So good. He says, Ladies and gentlemen, due to the Nakatomi Corporation's legacy of greed around the globe, 
They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. You will be witnesses. Yes. And I I love this for a few reasons. One of them is that he's he's the bad guy. We already know that he's the bad guy, Hans and his team. But he's calling out to someone else who he's calling a bad guy. Mm. He's there to correct the wrong someone else is doing. So I, I like it for that because at this point, very hard for either of us to remember back to the first time we saw this. But I feel like at this point, you might not know if Hans is the real villain or if this Nakatomi um, corporation is the real villain. This this movie could have taken a different turn where Hans is, in fact, um, like fighting a greater evil here, right? Which I think he might be doing. Right. But I just like the fact that, yes, he calls out to that's why he's there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. This, this is bigger you... evil than himself. We don't know. We don't. We don't have a lot of information quite yet, but it's from what what Hans says, like what he said right there. Yeah. And then there's the whole the whole idea behind these bearer bonds. Um, if you really dig into what that is, um, I, I was being serious earlier, where bearer bonds were something used uh, like a decade before '88, mm-hmm. and they were out of out of like the public's eye by 88 because if you were using or had bearer bonds it was most likely because you were some sort of a criminal you wanted to leave no trace of of money or you're trying to launder money so the fact the fact that nakatomi plaza or the nakatomi corporation had that much money in bearer bonds either means they received that in some sort of shady deal or were in shady deals of their own and the government uh, the u.s government ended up wiping those out because it was too easy to launder money. Because basically yeah. what it was, was that if you have one of these, you don't have to like show a record of who you are or like why right. you're using this. You can just use it. You can just say, look, here is $100,000. I'm giving this bearer bond of $100,000 to this guy. There's You cannot like trace it to me because my name's not on it, but you have to honor that this is worth $100,000. Which is why Hans would be so interested in it. Definitely, definitely. It's the perfect thing to steal. Exactly, so... Uh, So I like it for that reason. And I also like the way that Hans is delivering this line where he's kind of like standing in front of everybody and he's got this book, this black book in front of him. It looks like he's reading from the Bible. Oh, interesting. He just, he, he opens it up. He reads this, like this, he says this one line, almost like he's reading a verse from the Bible. Then he closes it. I have no idea what that book is. It might just be his journal. And he's like, oh dude, I've got the best way to like, (laughs) <laughs> to open this all up. I'm going to yeah. tell this to these people just to make myself look so cool, but I don't want to mess it up. I don't know what that book was, but it just looked, it, it really reminded me like of someone standing over people like reading from a Bible. So it was like, it totally. just made, it made it all that more impactful what he was saying to me. Yeah. He's a couple steps up. It's like, he's on a stage and uh, yeah, he's given his sermon to everybody. But his sermon is like, their downfall. He's like prophesizing their downfall, yeah. right? It's right. like, yeah. it's almost like he's reading from Revelation, right? Yeah. It's well, really and cool. he just says they will be the witnesses. Like he's not like any, no one's, he doesn't really say anyone's going to get hurt here. He's just like, you're all going to be witnesses of what's about to happen. Right. And I mean, we ultimately know what he's trying to make happen, right? <laughs> well, yeah. As they're, they're <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. There's them as witnesses. They're going to witness the roof being blown up with them on mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Oh, I've said too much. Tim, I've, that was oh, a spoiler, I spoiled Tim. the movie. Oh no, I spoiled it. Tim, get out of here. You're not allowed to spoil things. I I feel okay with spoiling things that 
most everybody probably has seen. Okay. Many, 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 many times. I'm still okay, trying. I'm, I'm still trying not to do it, but I had to, I just I had to throw that in there. Tim, I'm going to copy that clip of you saying that, and now every time I spoil something, I'm going to play that one for you. I'll probably edit edit, edit that out. I'll edit it out. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll edit my spoiler no. out. No spoilers allowed. Okay. So Hans, but keep in the clip of you saying <laughs> that you edited out the spoiler to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I might really edit it out because that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Hans asks for Takagi to come forward. And Takagi does, and Hans takes Takagi into another room and kills him because he couldn't give up the code key to the building vault that contains the $640 million in, oh, I've been calling it non-negotiable bearer bonds. I think it's just negotiable bearer bonds. I think I threw the non in there. Okay. My mistake. Negotiable. Just negotiable. Okay. Not negotiable, negotiable, or not negotiable. I don't know what the difference is. Non-negotiable. I don't know what either of those mean. Me neither. So it's negotiable. Um, this was a very, very graphic kill. His brains get sprayed all over a glass door. Yep, they sure do, Tim. I do remember a lot of things, mostly like feelings that I had watching yeah. this at a young, a younger age. So I don't remember like my, my takes on anything really. Cause you're just experiencing it when you're younger. I mean, I probably saw this when I was maybe 10, 11 or 12, somewhere in there. I, I would think maybe nine, 10, 11, something like that. Yeah. But I do remember like being really taken aback by the, the violence in this movie. And yeah. I do remember just that damn, like that it's brain splatter is just like, yeah. Oh, da- I've never seen anything like that before. That was uh, that was something else. Yeah, because it's not only the shot in the head, it's the the splatter on the glass behind him. And this movie actually originally got uh, an X rating um, because of that scene. Oh. And uh, they had to cut uh, a number of frames out of it to make it quicker to get the R rating. Interesting. Yeah. The editor said that's just going to make it worse because it's going to be so quick and in your face that it's going to feel like it hits you harder. Yeah. But sure, whatever, you know, I'll cut the gore out so that you can get your R rating. But, and it does, it hits you. So it's so fast that it just like, it feels like it splatters on your TV screen. Like it's just, wow. Yeah. I feel like it's worse being fast. Yeah. So Hans didn't get the code he was looking for to break through this, uh, this vault, but his computer genius, Theo says he can crack the code. He just needs time. Now, John was watching them kill Takagi, and he heads to the unfinished floors once again to set off the fire alarm. So I think this is very smart. It's a great yeah. idea. This is what I would probably do. I'd probably run away for sure and try to get the attention of the like law enforcement. So yeah, r- really good. But Hans is in control here. He, he's planned out everything. He's got everything right. everything under his control, and he was expecting this to happen. And the uh, we, we kind of watch the emergency responders getting close to the building, but then they turn around and they, they turn their sirens off and turn around. Yeah, which and, is interesting for you to say because, like, we watching know that Hans obviously has, like, the, a guy down at the main level, but, like, John McClane doesn't know that. Right. He, he could just pull that fire alarm and that could work. Yeah. That could bring every, like, that could bring the, the law enforcement. But, yeah, we... Like, I, I, I never really thought of that. I'm always just sitting there and being like, I would do that. But like, obviously, that's not going to work, John. They got this all figured out. But he doesn't know that. No. So John quickly gets a visit from uh, one of the bad guys because they, uh, the guy at the main floor there was able to tell Hans what floor the fire alarm came from. So they're like, okay, someone has right. escaped to this floor yeah. and has pulled the fire alarm. So yeah. 
send a bad guy, go kill him. But John is actually able to kill the bad guy. And he collects the machine gun that this guy had. Mm-hmm. So this is more like I kind of skipped past the whole fight they had, but this is more right. of the everyman that I'm seeing in this movie. Like I remember more of like the first time viewing for myself, it was all very realistic. So not only yeah. the way that the story is playing out, like John reacting the way he would in this situation, but also the, the gun violence is more realistic. Like up until that time, like, someone with a machine gun would just spray bullets everywhere and yeah. and the person would get hit the person they're shooting at would get hit this is an early memory for me where bullets weren't hitting people like you yeah. could shoot at somebody and not necessarily hit them which is more realistic i don't think it's all that easy to hit someone with a bullet from across a room and they're running away from you right so yeah. there's that. And then the physical violence was very realistic to me. It wasn't just like the big guy comes and lifts somebody up and throws them across the room. Like these guys were fighting the way that people would fight, like yeah. grappling almost, like grabbing a hold of each other and smashing each other into walls, trying just using the environment, doing whatever you could to get this guy off your back and then falling down a staircase, right? Yeah. It was all very realistic. And yeah, the hand-to-hand combat is so physical. Like it, it just... It, it's not stylistic, like it's not cool looking. It's just like physical and real. They instead of instead of getting you into the fight by having it look cool, they get you into the fights by building the tension right before them. So then once you actually get into the hand to hand, you're just in the madness. And it's just cameras going all over the place and bodies going all over the place. And yeah, two guys rolling down the stairs and we see the entire stunt we see them roll down the entire stairs from one angle it's an amazing stunt it was he did that john uh bruce bruce did that one wow he rolled down the stairs wow well i don't know if he did that one i i do know he he did a stunt where he rolled down the stairs i don't know another point in the movie where he rolls down the stairs so i'm I'm gonna assume that one that was that one one? that one seems so dangerous like i would just expect that there would be yeah some there would be stunt guys doing that one but i mean yeah so i don't like what i read did not say like in that scene with that guy he rolled down the stairs but what i read was that he rolled down he did the stunt of rolling down the stairs that's, right. that's the only rolling down the stairs I know in that movie. Right. So I think he, he fights did that. on the stairs later. He fights on the stairs later. And I know he did a lot of those, but he doesn't really roll down them. So, uh, yeah. So I just, I feel like, um, I feel the danger for, uh, for John McClane all the time yeah. in this movie. The yeah. danger is real, right? The danger is real. Exactly. He's, he's very vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Vulnerable. Good, good, good word. So John uses this dead body of this guy he just killed to send a message to Hans that now he has a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And I love that John's using the elevator shafts here to travel. Yeah. It's very imaginative to utilize things like that. And I know when I was, you know, watching, not even for the first time, but just every time, I want to be like John McClane in this building. I want to I want to have this building yeah. at my disposal. I want to be able to like run around it and go in elevator shafts and climb through vents and um it would just be so much fun. Like I I think I've alluded to it before on the podcast, but if if something like this could be set up into a paintball oh, um, yes. a paintball scenario or like an airsoft scenario where you can actually do these types of things, I, I just yeah. feel like it could make so much money because this is what like 
young young boy i'll speak for young boys because i was one but this is what young boys would just love to do to be able to do something like yeah. this it's just and, and then i mean beyond that i'd like to do it now but when i was that age i mean my imagination was so much more vibrant um just, oh my goodness so much fun. this is the ult- yeah this would be the ultimate for paintball because so many of these like floors are so wide open with just like things to hide behind and and you know places to to sneak um, I think it would be really, really fun. I think the building in this movie is, yeah, it's just, it's alive. Like it's, it's almost like as he's moving through it, like it's, it's revealing itself to us and revealing itself to him. It's, it's so unique and cool. Um, I, I love it. I love how it's integrated in the movie. Yeah. So 20th Century Fox, turn your building into a paintball yes. playground. Yes. You Do will it. make so much more money than you're making now with blockbuster <laughs> movies. Paintball, yeah. airsoft, look, come on. Well, we'll pay yeah. like we'll pay like twenty bucks a session. Yeah, You're just sitting on a gold mine here. At least, at least twenty bucks a session. Maybe more. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. you got to buy your ammo too. You can charge yeah, for ammo. Yeah. Sell hot dogs and pop. Yeah. Nah, this is like <laughs> sell hot dogs like, and pop. I feel like how has nobody how has nobody done this yet? I don't know, man. I mean, we only really need four of those floors. We don't need all 35 or whatever they have. Well, we need the roof. <laughs> we need a couple of the floors and the roof. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have 30 floors, then you can have each floor, like, running at the same time. So you can have... Yeah, the paint... Like, the paint... We need the lobby, too, because that's part of the movie. You maximize so, your, uh, your right. return on investment here, Dean. You got to use all the floors. <laughs> right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Or I guess, I guess if you don't, I guess... Okay, fine. I guess 20th Century Fox can keep some office space. That's fine. Yeah. There's like a You're special right. I guess we just need four elevator. floors, maybe four. four yeah, floors. there's a special paintball elevator that goes from the lobby up to the 30th, and then you can go and play from the 30th on. How fun would it be if you were in there playing that paintball and you kind of took the wrong turn in a vent and yes. made it to one of the office spaces and just started like picking people off from the vent with your paintballs? <laughs> <laughs> people working? I mean, yeah, workers. It'd be great. It'd be, be they fun. would love it. Those people working oh, would love that. They'd too. have so much fun with that. Yeah. Because getting yeah. hit with a paintball is so much fun. And they would love that. They would love that, Tim. <laughs> um, the, uh, we, we are inspired by this building. And the, uh, the writer was inspired by this building. He went to this building to get inspiration of how to write this type of story stuck in a building before they knew that this was what they were going to use. He just went there to like, cause they were still had construction on certain floors. So they were allowing him to go in and he could sort of look at it and write the scenes he wanted to write. And then later when he met with um, McTiernan and they were trying to f- figure out a location, he's like, well, I went to the Fox building and that's like what helped me write. Maybe we could do it there. So Jeb Stewart, the writer. Yeah. Jeb oh, Stewart. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that building just like sweeping you away, seeing it. Totally, yeah. So, where are we? John, well, John, he, he's trying to call for help again, right? So the, his uh, pulling the yes. fire alarm didn't work. He he still wants um, outside help, so he tries to call again. He's got a walkie-talkie from that guy he killed, and he's using it to make this call. Yes, I love that the first third of this movie is him trying to get help, trying right. to get the police to come. Because often you watch movies, it's like it's especially in horror movies where people are like scared and in situations, and you're like, just call the police, just call for help. Why don't you do that? Why isn't that the first thing you do? And mm. I love that that is the first thing he does. He's trying to get help. He's trying to get the police there. Dean, it's never the first thing they do because the bad guy always cuts the phone line. Well, 
I, I guess that's true. There is that there is that scene always where the scissors go over the yeah. phone line and it's cut. That is in every horror. That is true. That exactly. Is true. So I hate to call you out on that, but oh man, you made me look a fool, <laughs> Tim. Just I gotta call that out. It's serious. Jeez. That happens all the time in movies. They cut the they cut the phone line. Whatever. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So he, uh, John uses that walkie-talkie to make the call for help, and a single police officer comes to check out the tower. And while that cop is en route, we get a really great scene here with John and the brother of the guy he killed, and the the guy's hunting John down here. And it's just, it's a really, really long scene. Mm -hmm. of just these two bad guys coming after John, John kind of staying like uh, a step ahead of everybody and making his way into all these like weird areas just to sneak away from the bad guys. Like knowing that a confrontation is not going to be good and he's just trying to escape and they're trying to follow him. They're trying to find out where he would go. Um, it really, really enjoyed it. Uh, probably a, a bit of an underrated scene uh, for the movie in my opinion, but yeah, it's all very it's all very intense. It comes right after like the big elevator shaft scene where like we're all holding our breath in that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the cop arrives and he goes in to check everything out. Everything seems fine. Now I really like the juxtaposition uh in this scene of this cop going in basically to the snake pit. Um yeah. the security guard who's just like playing aloof and like everything's cool, but has his eye on him. Like when the cop yeah. walks past, he's like turns around to look to make sure this guy's not you know gonna get up to anything yeah. the cops looking around doesn't see much but stops just short of seeing a bad guy with a machine gun around a corner like if he had taken two steps further he's gonna oh, get yeah. killed so like this guy he he just barely makes it out of there alive he doesn't totally. know how close he came in that moment to getting killed but he just he stopped just soon enough he did just enough not to get like you know not to offend anybody not to get killed but um I did I did like that. Now as this cop is leaving, John, still trying to get people's attention, drops yeah. a body from his floor all the way down onto this dude's car. Yeah. And then starts shooting <laughs> with a machine gun to get his attention. And then says, Welcome to the party, pal. One yep. of his classic lines. Now, what a great way to get the cop's attention. Finally, they're probably going to listen, right? This is yes, this should definitely. be enough <laughs> to get the attention of the police. This should do it. I like that he has to go this far. Um, I love all his screaming at the window, at the cops outside, like that. That obviously can't hear him, but he's just screaming things at them and being like, "Wow, stupid are you people? Like, come on!" And then it comes to the fact, like it comes down to him having to break a window and throw a body out it to get that cop's attention. Um, it's so good. And then like, you know, the, the cop reversing great scene, <laughs> great shot scene. That car is going everywhere. Wild. What would you do? You just hammer on the reverse. You would do the exact the same thing. hundred percent. Amazing. Yeah. You would just, and he just goes back this, that shot, like, and also, um, just to go like back just slightly when, when the, when Al, the cop comes out of the grocery store or the, the, sorry, the, the little convenience store, and he's like throwing his bag in the car and like he gets the call to Nakatomi yep. and he's like, yeah, he's the close one. So like he's the closest one. So he's going to go check it out. He gets the call 
throws his bag in his car and then walks to the street and just looks up at the building. I just love that shot so much just to show you that he's like, he's right there. There's he, he's, he can see that building and he does no idea what's going on inside. And it's just a cool per, like outside perspective. And so then you like combine that with him hightailing it out of there to reverse away from that building once he figures out what's going on. I love those two, those two scenes. Yeah, great point. I do like that. I, I always liked when he looked over to the building and I'm not, I wasn't I really it. sure why. I don't know if it was because of how close he was. Like he's yeah. just like, he just got the, he drew the lousy card cause he's the closest, like the, the smallest straw, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's something about that. It was, it was neat. There's like something that. about getting the call and then going and looking. Yeah. Like looking it's just at right it. there. It's right it's there. Right there. Yeah. 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 Cool. So obviously all the cops show up now uh, as well as the news people. And Hans here says not to worry because it's all a matter of inconvenient timing. So again, he's got this all planned out. He's expecting these things to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, John calls Hans on the walkie, which was very unexpected for me. Yes. And this is where we got that tremendous line. One of the most well-known lines of all time. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Where uh, John says, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. It's great. It Iconic. Great. Um, do you remember the uh, growing up? Do you remember the uh, MTN television television network we had? I do remember MTN. Yes, definitely. So MTN was like, it was kind of normal programming during the day. But then in the evenings, it would play movies. Dude, this yeah. is where I taped Big Trouble in Little China. For the oh, first know, time, Tim. this is where I got yeah. it on VH. They played the movies. But they had a real problem. With editing swear words out of movies. Yeah. I remember watching Predator. And when Arnie at the end says, you're one ugly motherfucker. They, uh, yeah. or I guess the Predator like kicks in and says motherfucker. But they edited out mother and left in fucker. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, I'm like a young, <laughs> Wrong a young kid. And I'm like, oh, wow. You're yeah. not allowed to say mother. That's you can a, be a fucker, a but you can't word. be a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. So there were a couple of them. One of them that they did was yippee kaye kaye. It's like it, the kaye drifted off again. Ah, <laughs> great, great. But my favorite from them was yippee kaye, Mister Falcon, and that okay. was a completely different voice. The Mister Falcon yes. was like someone else cuts in. It's like uh, John McClane says yippee kaye, and then like some overdub, Mister Falcon. Oh, dude, I love so that Tim. one. Tim, I haven't thought about this in years, but once you started telling this story, I wrote down on my paper, Mr. Falcon. And so I remember that one. I remember that dub. That was the, M- that was the MTN dub. But I, I also found that uh, other people, I guess, out, out, in, out in the universe had issues with dubs as well. And I think the most uh, popular that I could come up with here was that there was one yippee Kaye melon farmer. <laughs> melon farmer? <laughs> melon farmer. Melon Farmer. Oh, man. I watched a TV recording of this movie so many times and Die Hard 2 so many times. And so that Mr. Falcon is just like ringing in my head. I used to think that that's what it was. Like, I I thought it was a UPKI and Mr. Falcon. No, it's not. It's It's not. It's a motherfucker. (laughs) This This is the scene when we see kind of... Well, we already know that like Bruce Willis is pretty funny, like when he's when he's on his own because he's kind of talking to himself. But this is when he's like, he he's being funny, but he's talking to like the 
what he thinks at that time are like the terrorists. Like he's talking to the head bad guys and he's still being funny. And I, I like that we set that up with the ho 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 moment, like when he wrote ho 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 on the shirt, because he kind of got a little smirk on his face. But he was definitely going to send down the bad guy down the elevator. But he got a little smirk on his face when he got this idea to put a Santa hat on him and write ho ho ho. So I like these little moments that are showing us like, oh, he like has a little bit of an edge. He likes to be funny. He likes to he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. And it's Christmas, right? Well, and it's Christmas. So you would do of something course. Like that. It's a Christmas movie. Of course. And it's Christmas. So, Tim, dressing up like Santa, that's got to be a theme of Christmas. He dressed up someone like Santa. Well, he dressed up a dead body as Santa. That's not a theme. What? Yeah, what? That's a theme. He put a Santa hat on someone and wrote ho, ho, ho. Uh, it's a theme. Dressing up as Santa and giving out gifts is a, is like a theme. But dressing now up he a- has a machine gun. He received a gift. Christmas theme, Tim. Yeah, I guess. Christmas theme. I guess I have absolutely nothing to say um, in in defense of that. So I guess it. I guess fine. Yeah. You can have that. Mr. Falcon, amazing. Who is Mr. Falcon? Who's yeah? Mr. Falcon? No, I. I, I was like, like the one I heard was more like Arnie. It was like Mr. Falcon. So Dean John starts communicating with this uh, this cop Al, who was like first on the scene, and John's telling him everything he knows about the bad guys and the situation. Now, Holly goes to talk to Hans about letting people start going to the bathrooms. And mm. like, like shit, normal shit, humanity shit like that, that you'd want to let people do. Yeah. And Hans is like sitting in her office. He's taken her office over as like his head, his headquarters in the building. Yeah. 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 And this is awesome, dude. There's a family yeah. picture of uh, John, Holly and the, and the two kids turned face down. Mm-hmm. And I love that they never showed us this, but 100%. John turned that picture down as soon as all this shit popped off because he knew that needed to get put face down or else people are going to recognize him, recognize Holly. I always wondered why that picture was face down. And this, this time watching, I'm like, he must've done it because he's doing things that they're not showing us. They showed us him or sorry, they didn't show us him escaping right off the bat. Right. But he did. And then all of a sudden he's three floors away. He put that picture down. He, I think he, that is he 100% knew. true. I was thinking that the last time I watched this, I was like, why is that picture turned down? I thought I missed it. I was like, did I, have I just always missed them turn the picture down? They just don't show you. I think you're 100% right. He, yeah, he turns that down. They leave it for, just leave it for you to figure out, but it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant, right? Like Great. it's, they leave these nuggets of how smart John McClane is in the oh, yeah. movie, but let you find them. Yep. Now, Argyle limo driver he's still in the parkade he finds out what's going on in the building that he's like sitting under from tv he's like sitting in the limo drinking and watching tv right. and like watching like music videos and stuff he's having a great old time oh he's having an awesome time now it's time dean for the la terrorist squad to move in enough's enough Perfect. yeah you know what dude we need to put an end to this okay this for situation sure. has to be diffused so yeah. let's go la swat team it's another great scene in the movie that is like more important than just what we're watching, like the immediate thing we're watching, because we all know, like you hear LAPD, like SWAT team mm-hmm. and that that's impressive, right? Right off the bat. That's an impressive thing. These right. guys come in and what we get to see is we get to see the bad guys shine. We get to see them basically mop the floor 
with the LAPD SWAT team. Like those guys are nothing compared to these guys, which in turn supports even further John McClane status as this single guy fighting these terrorists. So it's this level of, um, it's, it's a way of showing how good, um, certain characters are based upon who they're defeating. So I, I like that, that they show us that, yeah, the LAPD, they come up, they all get shot down, real quick when they get to the front door and then they send in like a, a almost like a some sort of tank it's not really like it's an armored vehicle they send in the armored vehicle nothing just gets wiped out like it's nothing this lapd is nothing to the bad guys um that's really interesting but yet john yeah, is on the inside like battling them and killing them yeah that's like in uh, predator showing how great the predator actually is by showing first arnie and his team just absolutely like destroy a mission just no problem with it at all something that's supposed to be super dangerous no problem yeah it raises the status of john mcclain that's really good i never thought that one um and really like yeah i i really also like how these cops on the ground are kind of looking like dummies like john wants to bring them in like because he needs the help and they're just like not listening to him right and they are just dummies on the ground it's just this one guy in the building that like he he has nobody he is alone and he doesn't even have the support from outside except for one guy on the other end of a walkie-talkie who's like talking him through things no one else is giving him the support he needs so it really like shines the light that he is alone it is just him against them in that building yeah that's true yeah he is alone and you fucking Dwayne t robinson T, he gets he, whenever you middle initial, uh, this is Dwayne T. Robinson. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, okay bu- guy. Okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never middle initialed anybody in my life. That's just like, um, it's just so obvious that they want you to ask about that initial. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Tiberius, oh, uh, right? It was, um, I mean, the reason that is T is, you know, because I saved a baby from a burning building and his <laughs> name was Ted. So uh, <laughs> right. took, the family wanted me to take on his, his initials. So, yeah, yeah, I did that. It's for so, them. No big deal, them. though. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about that. Uh, John has a bag of C4 and the detonators. Uh, he got it from that uh, the the guy he uh, one of the guys he killed. He took a bag of detonators and C four from yeah. the first guy yeah. he killed. The guy with the machine gun, right? No, no, it was a different no, guy. It was no, no, a different no. Guy. Yeah. Uh, he it was two guy when two guys came in. Right, he killed them both. One of them he threw out the window. Right, the it, other one is the one with the bag. It was that was the scene with the boardroom table, which was really good. We didn't really touch on, but we can't touch on everything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he got it from no. there. Now his response to the LAPD getting like lit up is to take this C four. And throw it down an elevator shaft and blow the shit out of that elevator shaft. Wow. And dude, does it ever blow huge? This is this wow. is the biggest explosion I think in the in the movie. This was yes. just so epic. Looks so good. Blowing up the elevator shaft and also the floor that it landed on, blowing out that entire floor of that yeah. building. It looks so good. Blows it out. doesn't look Go ahead. It blows out all the windows on the entire yes. floor. All the windows on the entire floor and just like glass flying, light flying, smoke flying. It looks amazing. I heard that that one was done with a miniature, a miniature model yeah. of the building and they where they could do an explosion on that floor to like make it look like the glass is blowing out. And then yeah. I heard they went and bought out every bulb in LA of a certain type and yeah. put it all around the actual building 
and set the bulb off at the same time to make this bright flash around that single floor. And then they composited that flash happening along with their miniature explosion to make this thing look epic. And holy hell, dude, did it ever look epic. It's incredible. Yeah, and they they really only had one shot because those bulbs, right. they are supposed to burn bright super quickly and then they're out. Yeah, they're and done. you're right, they needed so many of them that they bought all they could find. And so they had one shot at just like blasting them all and going from there. Um, they were apparently so close to asking if they could actually blow out that floor, like just blow out all the glass, um, really, because they weren't getting the miniature done on time, but then they ended up getting it done on time so they didn't have to blow out the actual floor. They were tr- they were pricing how much it would cost to blow out all that glass. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Oh, I would have loved to have Making been a part movies. of this movie. Dude. <laughs> Making movies. Insane. Yeah. My goodness. It's amazing. It looks so good. Like, it just looks it like looks, the floor of the building's blowing so out. Perfect, it looks so perfect, man. It looks so perfect. Yeah. Ellis is tired of waiting around, and he goes to Hans to cut a deal. And he gives up John McClane. And Ellis is basically trying to talk John into giving up the detonators. So, apparently, the, the bad guys want the detonators really bad. And uh, McClane won't have any of it, and they yeah. end up killing Ellis. Now, one thing I really liked in this scene is Ellis is pretending to be, well, he's not pretending, but he's like, he's gone to Hans with like a, an offer. Like, hey, yeah. I can help you out. He's, he says something like, uh, Hans, booby, I'm your white knight. Uh, he improvised that, by the way. He just yeah. made that up. Um, yeah, yeah. But I love that he's sitting there talking to John and Carl, the bad guy, comes over and pours him a glass of Coke. I love that. I love it because... They probably, this is all, again, off camera. They probably asked him, like, oh, okay, great, you can help us. Can we get you anything while we're working this all out? He probably says, do you have any Coke? Because he wants actual Coke. (laughs) And they probably just bring him a can of Coke. (laughs) That's amazing, Because these guys aren't like. I wouldn't mind some Coke, actually. He's like, do you guys have any Coke? Like, I could use some Coke. (laughs) Oh man, that's great. That's great, Tim. Oh my goodness. Totally. I, uh, I laugh every time I, I see that. This one. this Ellis scene is incredible. It is his energy in this scene. Oh, he's so good. So dude. good. This he's is so his good. money scene. Like he's good throughout this whole thing, but this scene is actually so money. That Hans booby, I'm your white knight. I love so him. good. Love his dumb facial expressions when he's talking to John and he's like thinking he's doing like he the right thing. He thinks he's, he's going to make it happen. He thinks he's so cool. And yeah. I love that as immediately when he walked in, like Carl went for his gun and Hans is like, nah, you know, like Give let's him a just chance, what he yeah. has to say. Like uh, right away, you know, like they have the upper hand, but Ellis thinks he's got the upper hand. He thinks he can just talk to these guys. He's slapping them on the shoulder like they're best friends. Yeah. This scene is money. I love it. I uh, honestly, dude... Every time I watch it, <laughs> I want him to talk John down at this point. <laughs> I want I want I want it to work. You want it to work. You want, I want it, it to work. work. I love what Ellis. I do like. What I do like is that he did protect Holly because he did not say exactly true. how he knew John. Yeah, true. So or exactly how John was why John was yep. at the party. He said that he was his guest at the party. Definitely. Um so I do like that part. It's really yep. weird. Like That's why I like this Ellis, guy's character. It's like, I know, it's, like what's going on with Ellis? What's going on in his head here where he's just like, I'll just say that John was my friend and he's oh, bored. Man. He just wanted more Coke. He's like the party's like died <laughs> down for him. More coke. I love that they pour him a Coke and then shoot him in the face. <laughs> like <laughs> why did you pour him a coke you were going to kill him yeah <laughs> it's, it's so excellent i love it 
It's so excellent. I love, also, I'm just going to go back to um, Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber. I love his calmness in all these scenes. He's like really calm and like kind of charismatic. Like he almost seems friendly. And then he does the horrible thing. Like he seems very friendly. Like, yeah, I'll listen to you. What do you got to say? Shoot you in the face. And then Holly comes in and she wants a sofa and she wants bathroom breaks. And he says, okay, yeah, that's fine. And it's like, when is he going to shoot somebody? And when is he just going to be okay with what they have to say? It's really, he's so unpredictable. I I really like him. So menacing. Yeah. True that, man. Now the FBI have uh, arrived to take over. Thank goodness. Somebody like qualified. Competent. Somebody qualified can finally take over this, this shit show. It's Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson. No relation. No relation. So Hans is out for a stroll now, checking something out. And he Ooh. runs into John. Ooh. I really appreciate this moment in the movie because you don't often get the two big shots meeting up before the end of the movie. And uh, how great is it when they do? It's so like, great. And they end in but movies? They, it's so oh, great. Oh, when, when they do when, it, it's great. Yeah. yeah, when like the hero and the villain like meet a little bit, like they just short, like meet for a short meet in the middle or like towards the end before that big end. It just, it, it raises the tension up, especially because they both don't, well, like John doesn't really know who he is, right? I guess like obviously Hans can tell who John is right away. He knows who that is, but like it's it, not knowing who each other is, not ever seeing each other before, I guess, makes that tension just so high. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I like that you just you meet up and have a chat with your oh, yeah. nemesis in the movie yes. before it's even time for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's just unexpected. Like I, I, I loved it, and yeah, of, of course Hans knows who John is because he knows his voice, yeah. right? Like they've been talking on walkie talkies. Uh, Hans is using an American accent. Yeah. Uh, this whole scene got put into the movie because um, Alan Rickman was on set one day just doing an American accent, like just goofing around. And the director heard it and he's like, that's actually a pretty good American accent. I think we can actually use that in the movie. So they came up with this scene where um, uh, Hans could pretend to be an American, pretend to be one of the hostages and it would be believable. So because John wouldn't know who he was like John, John wouldn't know his accent, recognize his voice or his accent, which John does not. Right. Yeah. So, so what I really like is that they've had this banter over this walkie talkie for so like so much of the movie. They've just been doing this back and forth thing with, with each other where they're both kind of one upping each other on how cool they are and how like confident they are in the situation. They're both funny and they're kind of respectful of each other you know like they hate each other but they're both like this guy's good right and so they it's really cool when they meet up face to face you finally get that where it's like all oh, these these two that have been at it over like verbally at it finally get to meet face to face so they share a cigarette here and they share a chat uh but john is too smart for hans and is on to him and john gives hans a gun Hans turns it on John and starts speaking German in his walkie-talkie. Yeah. And Hans tries to shoot John with no luck. I love it. I love it too. I remember feeling so many emotions when John handed Hans that gun. I'm just screaming at my TV. I'm like, no, don't do it. He's the bad guy. And I got fooled. I got fooled as a viewer uh, in the best way. Like It's just so great to know that John's ahead of, of all of us. Yeah, right. uh, he, he, it's I, he's ahead of me. He's ahead of Hans. It's just 
wasn't expecting him to like be on to the, the whole fact here. Now, I was always confused as to what it was that tipped off John in this moment that Hans is not who he said he was. Yeah, so I've got this one. Do you? Because I've got something too. Okay, I've got something that was cut. Okay, what do you have that's cut? So they had to do like a lot of uh, sort of rewrites where they were kind of writing the script as they were going with this one. They had a like a, a script, but they were adding to it and like like changing it here, like as just as it was going. And sure, because like, as I, I mentioned, this scene wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. This was exactly. just like something. Yeah. That, so yeah, yeah, makes sense. So the escape plan at the end of the, um, like the, uh, the bank robbers are going to escape through this like ambulance thing that they wheel out of the back of their truck. Yes. So that wasn't part of the plan when they first filmed the truck coming in. Right. So the truck coming in was empty in the back. So they had this shot of the truck being empty in the back and they had this scene of all of the terrorists synchronizing their watches. And then there was supposed to be a part of um, John McClane when he's checking the bodies saying that they're all weird. They're all wearing the same watch right. and then noticing Hans's watch while they're talking. A, there. A so tag, all those things a tag who yeah. are a German watch, right? Yes. Yes. So all those parts were cut out because they, when they had that sinking the watch scene, they didn't have an ambulance in the back of the truck. So they cut that out because the ambulance needs to be there because they're going to use it later on in the movie. So they cut that scene and they cut John sort of noticing that he has that watch. Okay. So I, so we would have got a, we would have got a shot of him like seeing the watch and then we would have kind of been on board too. Okay. Um, We do get to see, what it is that, how he knows. Okay. Okay. What is it? it it's so very subtle. I had to, yeah. I had to like investigate to, to figure it out or to, oh, yeah, to yeah. read what it was. Cause I, yeah. I didn't pick up on it. I never would have picked up on it. I always thought it was something to do with like, when he asks him what his name is mm-hmm. and he's like, what's, what's your name? He's like Bill Clay. And then um, John looks to the board of names board. beside him yeah. and it's like, there is a clay, but then there's a WM. Like oh, for the yeah, first time, okay. but I thought, well, WM, that could be William, right? Which True. which yeah. is, which yeah. Bill could be short for. So that kind of makes sense that he calls himself Bill Clay. So right. I, th- I always thought it had something to do with the board. What I read is that it has to do, and it's so very subtle, but it mm-hmm. has to do with the way Hans holds his cigarette when John gives it to him. Because okay. he holds it in a European way. Now, okay. John, if you watch it, it's only for a fraction of a second. John holds the cigarettes yeah. in between his pointer and middle finger. And Hans holds it with his thumb and his pointer finger. And yeah. takes what, he only takes one drag. But when he does, apparently that was what set John. And it, ma- it makes so much sense that in this movie where John is a step ahead of everybody, he yeah. would pick up on that when we don't even pick up on that. Right. I love that. Yeah, I love that. My my wife, actually, when we were watching that, she pointed that out. She said, uh, European smoke hold a cigarette differently than Americans do when he was doing that. So oh, I was just like, oh, well, yeah, I, I thought I didn't think like, oh, that's how he knows. I was thinking like, oh, continuity error right there. No. But no, like that. You're right. That is how he picked it up for sure. He would know that because he mentioned about their cigarettes. Right. He like, yeah, for sure. Oh, great. Great job, Laura. She nailed that one. I mean, she's she's truly the smarter of the two of us. 
She feeds me all my information while we're watching a movie. I just bring what she says during the movie. Is that why you have that single headphone in your one ear? Is she just feeding you everything to say? She's feeding me the lines. She's feeding me the lines. (laughs) We can just get her in instead of you. I know. Hey, believe me, I've tried. I've tried. So Hans, even though his gun didn't work because uh, John had emptied the clip, uh, he has already radioed his dudes to come up as fast as they can. And they get up there and they start firing at John. And another classic moment in cinema is when they, uh, Hans and the crew shoot out all the glass on the floor. Oh yeah. Because they know John doesn't have any shoes on. Yeah. And John has to run through all the glass to escape. And damn dude would that suck. And then he's pulling the glass out like out of his foot later and they make it Horrible. look so graphic i just it's get so shivers every time i yeah. see it it's just so painful this traumatized me as a kid like the same way that i am afraid of like water because of maybe jaws i'm afraid of glass because of this movie like if glass ever breaks i in my house i am so afraid that it's just going to get jammed into my foot like i can't move if a glass breaks and i'm on the other side of the room i won't move yeah (laughs) it's it just is so that visual just like of all that blood trail just traumatized me as a kid yeah you and everybody else dude it's terrible uh hans has his detonators back now though he got the bag and theo the it dude has hacked through six of the seven locks but he had already explained to Hans that he wouldn't be able to get through number seven. But Hans has a plan for that. He knows that the FBI are going to cut power to the building in response to this terrorist attack. And that is going to allow Hans to break the seventh lock. Yeah. So John is in the bathroom. He's um, you know suffering from these cuts to his feet. And we get his first weak moment in this film. And he basically thinks he's going to die. He, he, mm-hmm. He's like, he's so damaged right now. He's like, um, just n- things are not quite going as he was expecting. And he makes a call to Al, the cop on the walkie talkie. And he asks Al to give like a message to his wife, like this kind of like yeah. apologetic message. So uh, this is more of this building of the idea that John is the everyman. Uh, he actually thinks he's going to die in this movie. Yeah. It doesn't often happen to the super, you know, the super character in a movie that he thinks he's going to die and it kind of comes to, uh, you know, to terms with that and accepts yeah. it. So uh, he he does go back, though, to see what Hans was doing when Hans was out looking around. Like, wh- why was Hans, the main guy, out looking around? And what he finds was that Hans was checking to make sure that the explosives on the roof were still intact. So he's still hoping, Hans was hoping that uh, John hadn't picked up on that and hadn't disconnected those. Yeah. And they are still intact. And at this point, John meets up with Carl. Obviously, they start fighting. Carl's very mad. He's very mad that his brother was murdered. Exactly. As as one would be. As one would be. Uh, Hans, though here is able to figure out why John was at the party. And and he figures it out because a news crew goes to John, or sorry, goes yeah. to Holly's house and interviews the kids. And what at, a at, fucking dick move. Oh yeah, it's a dick move. But at that moment, Hans flips up that picture in the office and sees 
the whole family. Sees Holly, yeah. who he already knows. Sees John, who he already knows. Sees them together as a couple. So now he's got some real firepower against John. And Hans gives the order for all the hostages to go up on the roof, which he plans to blow up. Yes. And you got something? I just love how excited Hans is when he is trying to radio John because he has his wife. And oh, yeah. John's not there because he's fighting Carl. So he's oh. like, hey, John, John, are you there? Do you hear me? Like, <laughs> you... He's so excited. He's so happy. He's going to be like, I got your wife. I honestly, I've never even picked up on that. I never, I've never picked up on his joy. That makes so much sense, but I've never picked up on his joy in that moment. That's, that's uh, beautiful. Yeah. And then he never answers. Like he never answers on the other end. It's, it's like, perf- it's that's so, so, what is perfect. he thinking? Yeah. It's so perfect. Oh, I love that. His one, his one moment where he has the, the upper yeah. hand over that radio. He never gets it. He's, he yeah, never can't pick it up. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. So John and Carl are still fighting, but John is eventually able to choke and hang Carl by a chain. And John heads up to the roof to find out that Hans has Holly. And John is actually able to get all the hostages back inside the building um, before the roof blows. And John has to jump off the roof in this amazing sequence. Yeah. It's just so, oh man, it's so cool. He's like talking himself up to doing it. (laughs) What am I even doing? How how did I get here? Why am I doing this? What's going on? Yeah. so that was a very cool scene. And then right after that, dude, I always love this scene Yeah, that happens just after it. And it's when the elevator dings. Right. Right. Yeah. And what we've, what we've been set up with this whole movie is that whenever the elevator dings, it's bad news because that right. means yeah. someone is on, has, someone has just landed on the floor that John's on and they're coming to attack him. Yeah. So we've been, we've been taught to respond to that ding with yeah. like, okay, ding. Oh, look out. Some, there's trouble. What yeah. happens is the elevator dings and it just fucking blows open. Like the, yeah. an explosion <laughs> blows out the door. It I just, just explodes. It's, I just thought it was so much fun for some reason. It's like, okay, what's, I love it. Cause yeah. you kind of like at the end of this movie here, when everything is kind of climaxing, it's like, what else can go wrong? You know, like yeah. what else can happen? Who's coming out of the elevator now? And they're just like, uh, ha just kidding. It's just like, boom, just yeah. the explosion. For me, coming. it's like, everything's, for me, everything's it's the extreme. Up. It's like, it's like, th- there's always been someone walking out with a gun and it's like, ding, blast. Like, like there's, this is the worst case scenario. Like everything is blowing up around you. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to go now. <laughs> like it is, you are losing right now. Yeah. I liked it. I almost felt like the elevator was like a, also a character in the movie. Yeah. So John has found Hans now, and obviously Hans has Holly. Now John drops his machine gun and pulls off his clever trick of having a handgun taped to his back, and he's able to shoot Hans and the last bad guy. And Hans goes through a window, almost taking Holly with him, but she's safe. Now that's the part in the book where um, the dude's daughter falls to her death. Right. So this one, Hans has Holly handcuffed. John's able to release the handcuffs and just Hans falls. But in the book, uh, Hans and the daughter fall together Follow, to their yeah. death. So yeah. you could see how that would be a very different ending. Very different feel to the movie. Different story. Yeah, definitely different story. Yeah. And we get that classic shot at the end in slow motion of Hans' face as they let him go and he falls to his death. My goodness, man. This stunt. Talk about this stunt. 
both from Hans with his face dropping and with the body falling on the side of the building, like falling all those flights. Incredible. Yeah. Do you they want dropped to talk Hans. About it? Yeah, sure. They dropped Alan Rickman 25 feet, like into like a big pillow, just so they could get that falling feeling like that falling part where he initially well, they, is they needed like to, they needed to get the camera shot of his face fall actually yeah, falling exactly you needed so to feel needed, like they, he was actually falling so yeah they, they had to make him fall a certain distance yeah so they say you know you raise up the gun point it at the camera drop you on three they obviously drop him on one so that his face is a natural reaction of falling it looks so good. It looks like a person who is surprised that they are now falling. Yeah. Um, and then you get a person's body falling 30 flights outside of this building. Amazing. Yeah. That so stunt, stunt just blows stunt my man, mind yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Cool Yeah, that is a person. That is a person. Like they're rigged on something that will slow them down by the end, but that is a person matter. falling. Yeah. Those. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. The way it does that, not matter. The way that, dude, that dude's flailing. <laughs> it looks like he yeah. thinks he might die. Yes, for sure. It's it's like he has no control of his limbs. Like he's just yeah. flailing as he's falling. It's, what a great fall, though. Like you have to be controlled in that fall, right? Great, you know, yeah. Uh, he's not spinning out of control or anything. It's a great, great yeah. fall, great stunt. Yeah, great stunt. Yeah, well, that's that's actually what Alan Rickman said when he did his like 25-foot fall. He's like, you got to really mem- remember to like starfish because otherwise your body could turn. Right. Like if you're doing things, it could turn and you could land on your face. Like you need to land on your back in that situation. Yeah. So we're right close to the end here. And I really like that John and Al the cop see each other and they yeah. know who each other is without speaking a word. They just Great. look at each other. They, they make eye contact and they embrace. Uh, that was a really nice moment. I really, yeah. I really appreciate that moment. Um, what's not so nice is that they bring Carl back from the dead here. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. Probably my only beef with the entire movie is... Yeah. Why do you bring Carl back? We saw him get killed. So what you're saying is a dude mm-hmm. can get hung by his throat with a chain and still come back. How does he get down from there? How does he survive? How does he get down? Yeah. None of it makes sense. Completely unnecessary. And the only reason they do it is a terrible reason. Yes. It's the reason that Al has had problems this whole time pulling his gun because yeah. he shot a kid at a previous yeah. point, right? We, we learned that about him. So now yeah. he's able to pull his gun and kill Carl. So yeah. are we supposed to like pump our fists? Like, yes, now yeah. Al's ready to use his gun again. It's like That's what it's supposed to be, Tim. It's supposed to be like, yes, Al's a hero too. Yeah, Al, and it's, good, it, great. It Al can shoot. Weird. Al can finally yeah. shoot people again. It's just like none of it made sense. I guess it's no. a bit different in the eighties. Um, I don't know, whatever. But that I I could do without that. Just end. Don't don't just have the embrace and then end the way we do. Have Argyle pick yeah. them up in the limo. Yeah. They get into the limo. The Christmas music starts playing. They drive away off into the LA evening and we're done. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim, 100%. It is something that was taken right from the book, but they've changed so many things from the book. Why not this one? Like, I, I'm, it just, it, it doesn't really feel right. It's like, this isn't a redeeming moment for Al. He was fine. Like, he is the hero on the ground because he, he can is. take out his gun. That doesn't make him, like, just the hero now. It's fine if he doesn't want it, like, if he wants to work at a desk. I just don't get this moment at all. And it, you're, you're right. This is the one I don't like. We are in agreement then. We're in agreement, Tim. Okay. Well, that's all I've got, dude. 
Okay. Final thoughts? Um, amazing. I yeah, love it. Amazing. I love this movie. It's it's really cool to think of the time it came in the 80s when there were, you know, so many Arnold movies that I love, so many Stallone movies that I love. I love these type of action movies, but it's different. It's a different take on this action movie where it's one, the everyman stuck somewhere that he can't get out of. And, you know, he's forced to do he's forced to sort of solve the problem himself. He's asked for help from the police. He's not getting it and he needs to solve the problem himself. And this is just, you know, something that's been carried on for the years after that. Die hard on this, die hard on this, die hard on this, um, you know, and that's a pitch for a movie is, you know, let's do die hard on a boat or whatever. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it might have been. Oh, I think it might have been the screenwriter got a got a call sort of maybe 10 to 20. Oh, it's 2000. He got a call 12 years later in 2000. And there's like, we need you to write a script. We have this idea of die hard in a building. And he said, no, thanks. Because <laughs> that, that's what Die Hard is. Die Hard in it's a like building? Seriously? Die Hard in a building. Like, that's they've gone all the way. <laughs> they've gone all the way around exhausting every idea. They are back to, uh, we've got a pitch for you. It's Die Hard in a building. What? Seriously? That is Die Hard. Yeah, that's yes. Die Hard. Okay. He passed on that job. He passed on okay. it. Okay. Um, they want to remake yeah. Die Hard? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I just, I love this movie. It's. It's so enjoyable, so rewatchable. It's so fun. It moves like Bruce Willis. You're right. Bruce Willis is incredible. Um, I watch this movie every Christmas and sometimes more. Like I also revisit it during the year. So this is one of my most frequent watched movies. Um, before I'm done with my final thoughts, I have one piece of information that you might appreciate. Okay. Do you know where the name Die Hard came from? No, I don't. Who? It came from the director of The Predator, Shane Black. Oh, he no wrote, way. He wrote a script, and his script was called Last Boy Scout, which ironically Bruce Willis is in. Right. And he wanted to call The Last Boy Scout Die Hard. And he told this and was explaining this to Joel Silver. And Silver's like, ooh, that name would be kind of cool for this movie I want to do. Can I have it? And he let him have it. Very nice. Very cool. boy, Shane Black. Yeah. Love that guy. Um, yeah, this movie was pitched as Rambo in an office building. <laughs> Rambo. In, okay, great, great. Actually, I like. Except not. Yeah, except not. But I, uh, I actually liked the the way they pitched this one. Um, so I think after Jeb Stewart had his uh, epiphany and had his thirty five pages written, he went to pitch this to Lawrence uh, Golden. Yes, uh, Lawrence Golden. Uh, Lawrence Golden. He went to pitch it to him, and right after the pitch started, Lawrence Golden got up and left. Yeah, and he's like, basically, like, stop wasting my time. Obviously, we want to do this. Just go write the movie. Yeah, like within like seconds of hearing just the initial pitch, he's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Can I leave now? Like, this is great. Yeah. It's uh, also, I, I heard from uh, Stuart, it's also because he had never pitched before. So he started taking them through every moment in the movie. Oh, nice. And so they were just, he was just like, I'm done with this. Like, just write it. You're right. fine. Yeah. Yeah. We like it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dean, Die Hard was also available for purchase in 1989, one year after its release, on VHS for $89.98. What? I had forgotten what are you talking about. I had forgotten how much VHS tapes once cost. 
What? Dude. $89? Yeah, I read that and I'm like, what are you talking about? What so are I, you talking about? I dug a bit deeper and during that time, you couldn't get a VHS tape for cheaper than 50 bucks. And often the movies, wow. like the, the big movies were up to 100 bucks. And it was because the rental market was the way to do it. Nobody was right. buying VHS tapes. It was all rentals. Wow. Only the richest people would buy a VHS. But this this VHS, one year after its release, you could get for $90. Amazing. Wow. wow. Worth it. But wow. wow. <laughs> Worth it until your VHS, which probably costs less than that, just shreds it, shreds the tape oh, yeah. and spits it out. Oh, yeah. Wow. Insanity, dude. Insanity. That is that is insanity. I forgot that VHSs were that expensive. Yeah. Holy smokes. All right, man. Let's do what if. Okay, let's do it. What if? All right. What if is our portion where we like to just uh, elaborate on something? You know, what if this happened? What if that happened? Uh, just have just have a fun little conversation. So, Dean, my what if for you is what if we didn't get Bruce Willis as John McClane? What if it's one of the others who are offered the role? Who do you want that to be? Now, I want you to remember it's 1988. Mm-hmm. So try to think of the actor at that time. Mm-hmm. I will give you the list of actors again. Thank you, sir. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I'm guessing he's out. Too uh, old, too rich. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sly Stallone. Richard Gere. Clint Eastwood. Harrison Ford. Burt Reynolds. Nick Nolte. Mel Gibson. Don Johnson. Richard Dean Anderson. Paul Newman. James Kahn. Tom Berenger. Robert De Niro. That's it. Okay. Um, who do you want? Yeah. So, uh, and why the, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this, the scriptwriter Stuart has said he wrote with gear in mind cause he wrote a more slick hero and it was McTiernan that changed it to the everyman. Um, I don't like gear because of that reason. I don't want the slick, cool hero. I want Die Hard to be the way it is now. I, I like this everyman. Um, you know, aspect to it. So in those names that you listed, I like Harrison Ford. Um, I get sort of with a, with a Han Solo vibe of like, I don't want to be a part of this, but I'm still going to save the day. That's sort of what I get from, from Han Solo. And I, I feel like that's not quite what I get from John McClane, but I feel like it's, it's, it's close. It's close to what I want. Sort of like, I'm not the the hero in this situation, but I can do enough to be able to save it. Um, so I feel like that feel, and he's funny, you know, I feel like that feel could be right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good call. I can go with that. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm glad what you, do you feel? I'm what glad you, you didn't go with Arnold. I think I there's think... no way I'm going with Arnold in this movie. Like that's just a totally different movie. I like Arnold. I like Arnold movies. Arnold's great. He's fantastic. Yeah. But uh, you know, best friend of mine, close personal friend. I know. Um, I mean, it's 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 hard. It's hard for me to say that Arnold couldn't be in a movie and make it better. But I think this is one where he doesn't fit because so many yeah. things are going to malfunction in this movie if he's the lead in it. So for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Tom Berenger though. I think he's the one who can pull off this super grittiness mm. and get a little bit of this under the radar humor. Right. That, that's yeah. like very subtle. Um, it doesn't have, to, it's not going to sound funny coming from him, but you, you'll probably laugh at, laugh at it when you think about it. So I'm actually going to go with Tom Berenger. That's very true that I think, yeah, he would kind of nail that aspect of it, um, which is sort of crucial for the, I think the, like the lightheartedness of it, even though it's this, rated r action movie with all this blood and swearing it's it's got this light-hearted feel to it because of the way bruce willis is delivering lines and you know joking while he's by himself um i think yeah i think that he could uh, bring that to the movie yeah and uh, i'm gonna squeeze one last fact in here and that mm. was that back at this time in 88 these leading men were getting two to three million dollars for a movie including yes. schwarzenegger including all the big guys and I guess because they couldn't get anybody to do this, they ended up paying Bruce Willis $5 million. I know. And that set the precedent for movies going forward where people just started to demanding more money than $5 million because this nobody, Bruce Willis, got paid $5 million for this movie. So, An actor who is a TV actor who has been in two comedies before this movie gets $5 million to lead the action movie. It's yeah, it's it's wild. It's Everyone should thank him. Everyone should thank him for that it's because great. then their their prices went up. I thank him for taking the role. I thank him as well. Dean. Do we do it? We did it. Thank you for joining. Yeah, man. Uh I will catch up with you in a couple days to do our, uh, yes. our Christmas episode. Yeah, I'll be uh, stuck uh, up I'll on be, rum and eggnog. I'll be warming up my vocal cords for some singing. Oh yeah, I'll do some singing. It's gonna be good. Yeah um yeah everybody tune into that one it's a little bit of a bonus episode for you so thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time if you're looking for additional content from talking back sign up for our monthly newsletter we'll be doing monthly wrap-ups sneak peeks we'll show you some behind the scenes stuff we'll be sharing recommendations and who knows what else is going to go on find a link to the sign up form in the bio of any of our social media accounts or feel free to reach out to Tim or Dean and we'll set you up. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. 
Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.